<laughs> that, was, that was powerful. Good morning. Are you all well? Well, maybe you're not all well, but you're welcome. And we pray for God's health on you. Uh, so, yeah, we are. Uh, this is the second session in a new series that we've got looking at the book of 1 John, uh, looking at living and loving is the strap line for the series. And today we are looking at God's light and our darkness. And uh, I'm going to chat for a little bit before we actually get to the passage. So uh, if you'll bear with me on that. Uh, the, 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 the basic concept of today's talk is getting into our minds the reality that God is light and we are not. What God desires for you and me and, and the purpose of the cross was to achieve unhindered relationship with us. That was the purpose of the cross, that you and I could walk in unhindered relationship with God. And the thing that was in the way of that, as we know, which is the reason for the cross, was that sin gets in the way of that relationship. And that was not part of God's original blueprint, God's original design for our lives. Sin and the impact of sin on us and our relationship with God, that wasn't part of God's blueprint, God's design in creating people. And he invites us to meet him at the foot of the cross, leave our stuff there, and walk with him in the light, in fullness of relationship. That's the essence, you know, and if you don't hear anything else today, hear that. God wants us to meet him at the foot of the cross, to leave our stuff there, and walk with him in the light. Now, um, first of all, before we get to anything else, I want to ask you to look down, look down, look, no, we're not going into, um, what's that show? Les Mis, yeah, you're not standing in your grave. Um, (laughs) Look down and tell me what you might observe. Anything. What can you see? Feet. Feet? Okay, so around the feet, what's, what's going on? Ah, oh, see, he has got it. Like, I was going to take a bit longer to get to the, the nub of it. Right, so dad has seen stains on the carpet. Now, one of those stains uh, was from two weeks ago. I was leading the service, and I'd stupidly left a cup of coffee, knowing that I have two daughters milling around on the front row, left a cup of coffee under the seat, and within seconds it was over, and there's yet another stain on the carpet. Now, there are different ways that I could have responded to that. One of them could be, well, you know what? The carpet has got loads of stains on it. Now, this is bearing in mind that it's not very long since we paid £280 to have this carpet professionally cleaned. And it's about time, probably, that we are going to have to do it again. And before I was involved in Replenish, I used to have this suspicion, I reckon... It's mostly replenish where all these stains happen. And for about a year or so, I've been involved every week in replenish uh, while Colleen's been on maternity leave and actually just because I've got two daughters. Um, And I can confirm that most of the stains are because of replenish. Uh, But but it is what it is. (laughs) And uh, the old saying, where no oxen are, the crib is clean. But anyway, in response to my response to this stain on the carpet could be, well, you know what? The carpet's already covered in stains. 
So what's the point in trying to keep it clean? Like, what is the point in trying to keep it clean? I could have a, a decision that I decide out of a sense of helplessness. There's just no point in trying to keep the carpet clean. So let's not worry about it. Or I could look at that big stain that spread across a lovely coffee and think, oh, whatever. It's only a carpet. Easy come, easy go. A sense of indifference. I could look at it and think, woo-hoo. Time to party. Let's have a paint party. Let's really go for it. We've got a stain on the carpet. Let's really stain the carpet. Like, let's really go for it. You know, if we're going to have fun, we've fallen off the wagon in terms of the carpet staining. Let's really go for it and do our best to stain the carpet as badly as we can. Rebelliousness. Or I could have looked at that and thought, oh my gosh. I can't ever show my face in this place again. Disappear off and you never see me. Hiding and shame. Now, I want us to think about that as we look at this concept of sin, this separation from God, this thing that gets in the way of our unhindered relationship with him. We can... We can view our sin, or sin in general, with a sense of helplessness. You know, I used the phrase, fallen off the wagon. You might have fallen off the wagon and thought, well, you know what? I'm already in a mess, so what's the point in trying to pick myself up? I just, I might as well, I'm on a roll, I might as well just keep going. Or indifference, oh, whatever, doesn't matter. Rebelliousness, woo-hoo, let's party on. Or shame where we hide from God and think, I don't ever show my face before him again. Now, a question for you all. Has anyone here, I'm sure this doesn't apply to people in Glendale, but if it does, is there anyone here who has ever faced an issue or a struggle with sin ever from time to time? Oh, my gosh. It was supposed to be a joke question. I asked a question. How do you feel about yourself when you've had a good week? You know, oh, Minty sounds very happy. How do you feel? You've, you've, you've ticked a lot of boxes this week. You've not fallen into any sort of sin. You've not messed up. How do you feel about yourself after a good week? Actually, the question, how do you feel about yourself after a bad week? Do you feel good? Do you feel rubbish? Do you feel a sense of shame? Do you feel a sense of fear? Now, sin affects our relationship with God and with others. But when we try to tackle it on our own, and when we view ourselves in a good way when we are not messing up and view ourselves in a bad way when we are messing up, we can find ourselves in some of the, I sometimes call the pride-shame cycle, where we are doing things in our own strength. We think that we can make ourselves better. We think that it's not really, we're going to try to get ourselves um, in a good place for God. 
And when we're achieving all of that and when we're managing to tick all the boxes and when we're managing to balance the plates and when we're managing to keep our eyes off the things that we shouldn't look at, think of Romans 7 and Paul going on about not wanting to do the things that he ends up doing and doing the things he doesn't want to do. We feel a sense of shame when we mess up and a sense of personal pride when we do well. And Paul addresses this a few times in several of his epistles. Our righteousness is found in Christ alone. And when we are on track and when we are free of the stuff that has encumbered our lives, our delight and our joy and our sense of allegiances to him because he's the one who changes us and he's the one who gives us strength to live for him it's not about pride and when we fall and when we mess up our hope and our freedom and our joy and our cleansing is to be found in him and him alone we'll get into more of this when we get into the passage i want to just say a series of statements about sin none of these statements just to be clear uh, in case anybody's you know doing messing around and editing the podcasts you know none of these statements are founded in biblical truth okay get this they are not grounded in biblical truth god doesn't think my sin is a problem Sin doesn't matter. It's an old-fashioned concept anyway. My sin is only human weakness. You know, I'm just little me. God's fine with it. You know, it's just the way I am. I don't have a choice. Or I'm good more than 50% of the time, so I'm winning on aggregate. (laughs) On balance. Here's a slightly different set of statements. I've got to get myself sorted before I can get back on track with God. God is disappointed in me. I've blown it too many times for God to really be pleased with me. Again, no matter how many times I've tried, I never really make progress with God. Can you see any hints of helplessness or indifference or rebelliousness or shame in any of those statements? So why don't we come to today's passage and we'll see what God's got to say about it. And I'm going to have some water first. John is speaking and he's, he's, well, the interpreters, the NLT interpreters have given this passage, this sentence, living in the light. And it says, this message we heard from Jesus, starting at verse 5 of 1 John 1. This is the message we heard from Jesus and now declare to you, 
God is light and there is no darkness in him at all. So we are lying if we say we have fellowship with God but going on living in spiritual darkness. We are not practicing the truth. But if we are living in the light as God is in the light, then we have fellowship with each other. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we claim we have no sin, we're only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. But if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful And just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. If we claim we have not sinned, we're only calling God a liar and showing that his word has no place in our hearts. My dear children, I'm writing this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate who pleads our case before the Father. He is Jesus Christ, the one who is truly righteous. He himself is the sacrifice that atones for our sins, and not only our sins, but the sins of all the world. So it's just a few simple realities that we can take away from this passage, and that will help us with whether our struggle is or whether our mindset has been coming from a place of helplessness or indifference or rebellion or shame, some things that we can align ourselves to from God's word. The number one thing is that Jesus is the one who dealt with and continuously deals with the issue of sin. We know the cross once for all time bore the punishment, the, 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 the God's wrath of sin, the thing that God can't stand about sin, the wrath of that was placed on Jesus. And so therefore in that moment when Jesus hung on the cross and he said it's accomplished, he made an end to sin's ability to keep us from approaching God. He took the punishment once for all so that everyone who looks to him can find forgiveness and cleansing. That's a very simple statement, but I think I will pause for a second while it sinks in. Jesus is the one who deals with the issue of sin. How many times have we, how much time have we spent whacking ourselves on the back trying to deal with our own sin? Jesus is the one who deals with the issue of sin. We'll come back to that so I can explain what I mean there. The second thing is that, and this is, John says at the beginning of chapter two, my dear children, I'm writing this to you so you will not sin because sin is a serious issue and we need to confess it to God quickly. talks there about him cleansing us because it's not just a case of we are free from 
sin, therefore we have access to heaven and eternity and you know it's not really all about the afterlife it's about how we live before God in relationship and sin if we allow it to continue in our lives if we don't deal with it if we don't confess it to God bring it to him and walk in the light then our minds and the way that we think becomes polluted by sin, the way that we, are, we think about God, the way we think about others, our relationships, all of it gets polluted by sin, by sinful mindsets, by then therefore leading into sinful practices, sinful lifestyles, which can get us way off track of God's best and God's way for us. So deal with sin and confess it to God quickly. And this, this is really important, this idea that we, wherever we're at and whatever's going on and whatever we've done and wherever, however far away we feel from God, the place to go is into his presence. Okay? No more hiding, no more shame, no sort of thinking, well, I'll just, I'll just give him a, a little bit of a wide berth for a while while I get this sorted out. Because we will not on our own get things sorted out. It is in his presence. It is walking with him. It is listening to his word. It is soaking in worship. It is confessing our stuff to him and dialoguing with him that causes us to get transformed. And we have this thing, I think, where um, Paul deals with it in Romans chapter 8, doesn't he? He says there's no, no condemnation now. For those who are in Christ Jesus. And we live when we walk in sin. And when we've messed up. We can easily fall into the trap. Of feeling a sense of condemnation. Feeling a sense of distance. Feeling a a sense of God pushing us. Away from him. And I want us to just spend a couple of minutes. Looking at the difference really. Between in those moments. Between the concept of condemnation. This this shameful guilt that we feel. That weighs us down. And that pushes us away from God. And a word that is used in the New Testament. Called conviction. Which is about the Holy Spirit. And the work of the Spirit of God. Convincing us of things. That we need to put right with him. Condemnation makes you feel rubbish, it makes you feel unworthy, it makes you feel that you have no hope, no future, no way back to God, that you, how dare you try to approach God? You are a filthy worm. Who do you think you are thinking that God's going to be interested in you now after all that you've done and what you've been thinking? You're just such a mess. Whereas conviction, some of the reality is the same. We are a sinful people and we have messed up and God does detest the things that we do. But you are invited into the presence of God. You are invited to come so that he can change you, so that he can set you free, so that he can break the chains off and set you on a rock. Another thing to say about this dealing with stuff quickly, um, and it comes down to the carpet again. And you know, we say, "Oh, that idea of well, there's just mess everywhere, so what's the point in bothering?" Uh, when I worked in a, a local authority setting uh, in community safety, and there was this thing that we referred to as trigger crimes, 
and I'll, I'll, I'll caricature it so that it's just easy to grasp the, con- grasp the concept. So somebody drops a crisp bag. Day after, somebody walks along, sees a crisp bag and thinks, ah, I'll chuck a bottle down. The bottle breaks and there's smashed glass on the floor. The day after, somebody walks past and thinks, oh gosh, this place is a bit of a mess, isn't it? And so they graffiti on the wall. The day after, a window gets smashed. The day after, the building gets set on fire. This idea that when there's a mess and when there's stuff that clutters, it leads to, and, and actually in our lives, when we've, we've messed up, let's quickly recalibrate. Does that make sense? Let's quickly bring ourselves before God and say, God, I have, I've got off track. Quickly get me back on track. Because if I end up with another, another crisp bag in a week's time, well, we'll deal with a crisp bag. But it's better to deal with a, a crisp bag once a week than to deal with a burnt-out building and smashed glass and graffiti. Does that make sense? And in our lives and in our choices, when we start to get off track, it's really important that we quickly bring ourselves before God and quickly get the thing corrected. He wants us to come to him. He wants to help us. He's really, and I said this at the beginning when we were worshipping, he really is comfortable with the fact that he's the potter and we are the clay. Comfortable with the reality that he's the saviour and we are the ones who need to be saved. So it's really fine and it's an open invitation. Whatever a mess we're in and wherever our minds are at, the best place to go is to him and into his presence. And that's often the place that we last think we ought to go because we feel I'm, God wouldn't want anything to do with me right now. But the underlying reality of it all, and this is the third thing. So the first thing, Jesus is the one who deals with the sin issue. Second, sin is a serious issue, so we need to confess it and confess it quickly. The third thing is that God's love for us is not affected by sin. It is not affected by sin. There is nothing that you could do that could make God love you less. And there's nothing that you could do that could make God love you more. God loves you absolutely, totally, and completely. Whatever mess, whatever stuff, God's love for you is not affected by sin. We have said our relationship with him is affected by sin, but his love for us is not affected by sin. So let's not allow sin to be the thing that keeps us from him. If you're feeling distant from him, the number one thing to do is get into his presence. Approach him, talk to him, be with him. When it's the last thing you think you want to do, or whether it's the last thing you think he wants you to do, you can be certain it is the best and most appropriate thing to do. Because God is not put off by our fallen condition. There's a passage we're going to read from Romans in a second, and I really want us to get a hold of this reality, that God is not put off by our fallen condition. Our fallen condition is the reason why the God of creation stepped down into the mess. God is drawn to you. 
even in your mess, even in your worst, God is drawn to you. He is for you and he wants to walk with you. Romans 5, verses 6 to 11. Ooh, gone way past. Is everybody okay? When we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. Now, most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, though some might perhaps be willing to die for a person who is especially good. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. And since we've been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, he will certainly save us from God's condemnation. For our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son while we were still his enemies. We will certainly be saved through the life of his son. So we can now rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends of God. Go for it, Irene. I think that needs a bit of a come on. While we were at our worst, this is what, you know, it it seems when you read that passage, Irene, so absurd that we would ever feel ashamed to come to God. Ever. When we were at our worst, God knows your most embarrassing moment, your greatest failure, the thing that you're most ashamed of, the thing that you would least like us to have displayed on the screen up here about your life. God knew it when he hung on the cross and he knew you and he loved you and he died for you in that worst of your worst of your worst. What an amazing God. What an incredible love. And I'm going to just read a, um, a little passage from this book. I have to, you have to excuse my coming of age. Um, but this is, some, this is Dane Ortland, um, gentle and lowly. And on page 191, he's looking at this passage from Romans chapter 5. While we were still weak... At the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. If while we were his enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. To say the same truth backwards, Jesus didn't die for us once we became strong. He didn't die for us once we started to overcome our sinfulness. God did not reconcile us to himself once we became friendly towards him. God didn't meet us halfway. He refused to hold back, cautious, assessing our worth. That's not his heart. He and his son took the initiative on terms of grace and grace alone. In defiance of what we deserved, 
when we, despite our smiles and civility, were running from God as fast as we could, building our own kingdoms and loving our own glory, lapping up the fraudulent pleasures of the world, repulsed by the beauty of God and shutting up our ears to his cause to come home, it was then, in the hollowed out horror of that revolting existence, that the Prince of Heaven bade his, his adoring angels farewell. It was then that he put himself into the murderous hands of these very rebels in a divine strategy planned from eternity past to rinse muddy sinners clean and hug them into his own heart despite their squirmy attempt to free themselves and scrub themselves clean on their own. What amazing love. What amazing grace. The passage is entitled the light, uh, God's Light and the sermon God's Light and Our Darkness. And I want us to just finish off by just thinking about the reality of light. Goodness me, this phone is annoying. You see, light overcomes Darkness. Light is stronger than darkness. It, when there's light and dark, there is no competition as to who is going to win. Imagine we'd blacked out this room and the lights were off and it was pitch black. We could say, darkness, flee in the name of Jesus. We could rebuke the darkness and get out, 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 you got, get out, darkness, get out. Or we could turn on the light and there is no question and there's no argument and there is no competition. Darkness is gone when the light goes on. And the invitation of John here is walk in the light. One of the uh, team that was here from Toronto, the team leaders were asking me some questions and I gave some of my personal story, which if anybody ever hasn't heard that and wants to hear it, we could do that again. But they said, what are some of the core values and the key messages of your life? And I said, well, for me, the number one message that I think from my life is people change in God's presence. I could stand here till I'm blue in the face telling people how they should and shouldn't live their lives. It's not going to make a diddly squat of difference. We can judge people, we can point the finger, we can give people lists to follow. People change in the presence of God. We're invited to walk in the light as his light shines on us as his transforming power is at work in us, we change. And there's something that's so um, freeing and something that's so beautiful and something that's so life-giving about that because it is him who makes the difference. Is it he who makes the difference or him who makes the difference? You're the English teacher. He? It's he who makes the difference. We change when we walk with him. 
So God, we just bring ourselves before you. We have to acknowledge, Lord, that there are things that have been in the way of our relationship with you. We think of some of those statements we read earlier. We have to take ownership of our own stuff and confess it and bring it before you. Help us to repent of any indifference we have felt towards our sin and our stuff that's kept us from you. Help us to bring before you any sense of helplessness. We see the number of stains on the carpet and we think, well, what's the point in even trying? God, we bring to you our helplessness and we thank you that you are the God who restores. You are the God who recalibrates. You are the one who cleanses and sets free. We bring to you, Lord, our rebellious hearts, that part of us that just wants to throw a paint party and make a big mess up. We bring that before you, and God, we ask you for your cleansing. We bring to you, Lord, our shame, and we lay it at the foot of the cross. We thank you that there is no place for shame in the house of God. Because we are invited into your presence. When we were at our worst, you died for us. Help us to really get a hold of what that means and how much you love us, Lord. Help us to make a serious commitment to confess quickly when we get off track. And if there's areas in our lives, Lord, where we are perhaps facing hidden or addictive sin, that I would recommend getting people involved in that situation if you're in that position. Don't just try and tackle that, you and God, because actually having people around you will really help you to come to a place of freedom. Talk to us if, that, if there's anything in that area that you want to just get help with. Do speak to us about that. But shall we stand together? And Laurie and Emma are going to come and... Jesus, we thank you that you love us so much. help us Father to walk in your light to walk in your freedom that God you would cleanse you would set free I pray that if there are people who have come in here burdened with shame or guilt or helplessness come in here even with rebellious hearts Lord I pray that you would you would bring hope and you would bring cleansing and you would bring freedom today Thank you that there is power in the name of Jesus. Thank you that there is light in your presence. And I thank you, God, that when the light shines, the darkness has to flee. And we just say, yes, Lord, to your light shining on our lives. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Help us to walk in unfettered, unhindered relationship with you. Where we need the help of our brothers and sisters, God, help us to find people that we can really trust to walk this stuff through with, that, God, we might walk in freedom, walk in light, walk in hope. 
and in the fullness of the new life that you have, you have died so that we can live in. In Jesus' name. God of heaven living in me gentle saviour closest friend strong deliverer beginning and end all within me falls at your I can but bow, I lay my all before you now. Royal robes I don't deserve, I live to serve your majesty. see, I can but bow, 
you now in royal robes. I don't deserve. I live to serve your majesty. Just wanna speak the name of Jesus over every heart and every mind. I know there is peace within Your presence. I speak Jesus. I just wanna speak the name of Jesus. starts to break, declaring there is hope and there is freedom, I speak Jesus, your name is power, your name is healing, your name is Your name is healing, your name is love. 
Presence, I speak Jesus. 